Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life. Greetings, Diginauts, seekers of wisdom and information, knowledge, crafters of overstanding. Today you have voyaged to the right place. You get to hear from Dr. Scott's story in part two of his podcast. Scott has so much knowledge to drop, we had to chunk it into two chapters. Today he will expand on his practice as a lifelong student of health and a holistic health care practitioner. Scott's been a part of my life and my health journey for over two decades. One thing I'll note is that in the last two weeks, between the recording of the first podcast and the second podcast, we had several wildfires in Colorado, including the Calwood Fire, which came quite close to Scott and his wife, Ian Sophia's home. Fortunately, their house is fine. It remains intact, but they were ready to go. They were in pre-evacuation, so they had all their belongings packed up and ready to jump into the car if needed. Fortunately, that didn't end up happening. So in the beginning of the pod, Scott's talking about unpacking his stuff and moving back into his home. That's what he's referring to. A brief moment of silence for all the people who did lose their homes in the recent Colorado and California wildfires, which seem to always be breaking new records in terms of acreage and toll, both on human life and on people's livelihoods. Without further delay, we will now begin chapter two of Scott's podcast. As always, reach out with comments and questions. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back, listeners. We are here again with Dr. Scott Story. We had so much to talk about in our first episode. We're in new territory here. Scott gets the wonderful honor of being my first guest with a two-parter. Yes. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. Very so excited. many, So many cool things to share. Yes. So, um, but since Scott and I spoke, which was a few weeks ago, we're, we're separating these episodes out to uh, give ourselves time to do all the things. We've attended our GPS, Global Postural Stretching Course that Scott and I both attended. Uh, it was online, so we didn't attend it together technically. And also Nikki Costello, one of my earlier podcast guests, who is the Eldo instructor, attended that class with us as well. So we've been comparing notes and talking about how to do all the things. That's been great. Well, let's dig in. Where did we leave off, Scott? Uh, well, we discussed many different things. I and mean, then we were going to start off with uh, hypercoagulation. But I, I heard this really great podcast by Colby and Dr. Story. And we listened to it last Friday when we were moving back in. Okay. And so we're moving back in, putting order in our world. And it was so exciting. And then I listened to Dr. Story talk about fruit makes fat, flour makes fat, sugar makes fat. But I added a new one, stress makes fat. Ah. And so I'm listening to that. A and new I'm realizing, verse, a new line. Yeah, yeah, a new line. Yeah, so <laughs> we invented a whole new song. And I realized that fruit juice served a purpose for me. A year ago, when I got so sick and I had a pneumonia and a sinus infection and I lost hearing, speaking and swallowing and also digesting my food. Very serious. Lost 20 pounds in four days. So I, I added apple juice back in because I needed some calories. And so I could get my 20 pounds back. 
but then I went 20 pounds plus just a little bit, but it tastes so good mm. and it smells so good and so enjoyable. And it was part of my new ritual. Well, remember that it takes 30 days to make a new habit. Well, I, I know my song and fruit juice is even worse than eating fruit because it's pure sugar. There's no fiber. Mm. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to take Dr. Story's advice. So I gave up the apple juice and so did Ian Sophia. And what happened? Well, let's see. I lost an inch and a half in my waist in one week. Nice. And I dropped four pounds. And so I actually approved my own song. It does work that way. So that's what I changed. But I'm wondering with Colby and also Jana, what did you guys change since our last meeting on the 25th of September? I don't know if I've changed anything, but I would say I've focused on my practice. Uh, I've meditated every day. I've been eating well. Here's a little change. I've um, recently, I heard another Paul Saladino podcast. He's the carnivore guy, mm-hmm. carnivore diet guy. Yeah. And one of the really interesting discussions I've been following with him is the types of fats that he recommends and specifically the fats that are more oleic acid-based versus stearic acid-based. And he's talking about how most fats contain more oleic acid and oleic acid. His theory is that it's a signaler to put on weight. So if you look at a natural or tribal diet in many parts of the world, most of the fats you would get in the late summer, fall, winter are oleic acid based, which is he, his, the way he phrases it is that it's a signaler for the body to put on a little bit of fat to prepare for winter. And then you would find more stearic acid containing fats in the spring. And, and stearic acid does the opposite. It's a fat that helps you shed weight. It's, it's a fat that, um, does not, I'll say promote the, the, um, the accumulation of visceral fat, right? And and so then the natural biohacker always more is better type of perspective is, well, only eat foods with stearic acid or contain or yeah. increase your, your food content with stearic acid containing fats. And that includes things like beef tallow, pork that is raised properly, that is yeah. on a natural diet that, of things that pigs eat, not corn and soy, right? Um, goat butter. Uh, grass-fed cow butter uh, and cacao butter. So I've been adding cacao butter to my morning shot of espresso. I do a double shot most mornings, not every morning. That's kind of my coffee threshold. Mm -hmm. If I have more than more than one usually doesn't do me well, don't need to fry my adrenals, but one, one serves me in the morning. So I do that and I add the cacao butter. It helps blunt the caffeine response a little bit and also get that stearic acid in my system. So I've been playing with that a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Be curious to see if that leans me out a little. Part of when we talked about the diet, if you look at the cultures where people live to be 100, yeah. you know, Okinawa and, and Mediterranean diet, that they basically eat local food. And so mm-hmm. they'll have olive oil, you know, as their main oil because they eat a lot of olives, which are fermented food. And then you go to, you know, Japan and you get the miso soup and you get the tamari and they're naturally fermented, but they eat fish and they eat a ton of vegetables. In Japan, they eat more seaweed. Mm-hmm which is good for the thyroid, high in trace minerals, good for the body. So if you look at these two cultures, you know, they're, uh, they're communal based. So they're, you know, they know their neighbors, they get exercise every day and they just eat well and they don't eat a lot of processed food. Mm-hmm. And so I think that where our culture is steered wrong is that, you know, basically if you walk into a supermarket, if you stick to like, you know, the vegetables and the protein and the good fats and all that, you pretty in fermented foods. That's pretty much all you need. Kind of shop the circumference yeah, of the yeah, store. Yeah, yeah, Stay yeah. away from the middle where all yeah. the box stuff is. What I noticed since uh, we're the lockdown for a week is that everybody who's come in, I go to muscle test them and all their muscles are weak. 
So this is, we talked about this last time, uh, when people get injured, when they're doing their habitual exercise to the same amount they normally do in the pattern they normally do it, and they get injured. And it's because the brain and the body aren't quite communicating. It's kind of like we talked about Windows and Mac, there's not a good interface. You mm -hmm. can't do the parallels, but really it's good to just get your body working again. So we laser the brain and then turn the muscles on. And then we go through and we check all the cranial nerves. And so the one consistently that's blowing out in everybody is the eyes. Because too much computer time, too much time watching TV while you're stressed out, the eyes tend to go peripheral instead of being able to accommodate and bring your eyes in so you can see really well. Mm -hmm. What happens is basically they go peripheral and then it takes twice as much energy to look at your computer screen or to read the newspaper or to do anything visual. So we have to manipulate the eyes and work the muscles around the eyes and laser the brain where the optic information comes in. Mm -hmm. And then they're, they're so much more efficient. When they leave, they feel better. They're more relaxed. Uh, taking information in is much easier because when you get stressed out, it's overstimulation. Uh, you know, we're geared for a 24-hour day, but when stress comes in, one of the things that happens is the brain speeds up because of the adrenaline. And then uh, usually for a woman, her day is 28 cycles. But if she gets really stressed out, it'll shorten to 24 to 21 because the body has too much input. And so it alters your circadian rhythm. So you lose. So you get your, off track with. Yeah, with the moon, the yeah, lunar cycle. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. And so everybody came in, they were hypercoagulated in the lymphedema. So their body was very uh, tense. The muscular tissue was very stiff, mm -hmm. but they retained a lot of fluid. So everybody had gained like two to five pounds of just lymphedema. So just by draining the lymph and doing some rock blade and integrating the global postural stretching that we did. Yeah. So I actually am positioning people in very different ways so that I can get more of an effective fascial mobilization mm -hmm. and uh, help them have a better posture. Mm -hmm. And so it's yeah. it, doing, you know, 90 stretches in three days. That was a trip. That was a lot. You know, the yeah. first morning I woke up and I'm like, oh my God, I had to take a two hour Epsom salt bath because <laughs> I was so sore. But then I paced myself a little bit better for the next yeah. few days. And when I was done, I felt longer, yeah. I felt leaner. Yeah. Um, my shoulders were back. My head was easily up over my, where it's supposed to be. So I had great alignment with no effort. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that as it relates to the fascia of the body, when you're under a lot of stress and you start to armor, you get the hypercoagulation. So you get the thick blood not flowing through the artery, through the capillary, and then, mm -hmm. you know, coming out through the venules and all that. So you get all that extra fluid loss. Mm -hmm. And then when you have the wind like we had, and then the low pressure comes in, whenever there's wind and low pressure, you're always going to get lymphedema. So you'll hear people say, my fibromyalgia is worse, you know, my body's achy. And so many of my patients during this time off, they developed arthritis pain and they had muscular pain and headaches, not just the sinus, you know, headache from the smoke, but actually entire cranial inflammation. Yeah. And so I have to go through and manipulate the cranium and open up the fascia so that we can get the circulation happening again. Mm. And so when we were looking at the hypercoagulation, so endocrine, women have more hypercoagulation because they have more estrogen. But that's another reason why people on the pill tend to have blood clots, headaches, uh, muscle aches, you know, decreased uh, efficiency of movement. Because when we do the endocrine test, there's estrogen dominance and then there's testosterone dominance and everybody has their own metabolic profile. And so if yours is estrogen dominance, then what we want to do is shift your body to make a little more testosterone because you get better circulation mm -hmm. and also you don't get the blood stagnation and body fat makes estrogen. So if you're overweight, like two thirds of Americans and of that one third are obese, you're making so much estrogen. So 
men are developing breast cancer at an alarming rate. And so are women because too much estrogen feeds the growth of breast cancer. Yeah. And so men, they call them male breast gynecomastia. Right. And so basically what happens is more and more men are getting breast cancer because of the obesity, mm. because of the estrogen. And then, you know, cortisol and testosterone, that kicks into your stress response. So I had it. You know, I had a cortisol spike, my pulse weight went up, my testosterone level went up, even though I do everything to balance out my hormones. <clears throat> uh, next, stress. And then diet. The standard American diet causes hypercoagulation because it increases your blood viscosity. So if you're eating wheat and you're having some sugar and some cow dairy and you've got leaky gut and you've got all these allergens, the blood just gets thicker. It's a natural response mm -hmm. to that kind of stimulation. And then, you know, inflammation and infection, big one is dehydration for people, makes the blood thick. So the JAMA came out last week and they said that uh, people who have intermittent claudication, so like they're walking and then their legs start to cramp and spasm because it's a circulatory issue, that if they had them drink one and a half liters of water, their intermittent claudication went away. Hmm. So it tells you that dehydration and hypercoagulation literally cause the intermittent claudication. So you can actually, by diluting the blood and improving the circulation, you can make that symptom go away. And so Paul Cech has a, a somewhat universal recommendation he gives people for how much water to drink per day, just to give people an idea. And his formula is half your weight in ounces of water per day. So that's my minimum, but yeah. my optimum is two thirds. I would, I think his is, that is his minimum as well. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys are in agreement yeah. on that. Yeah. yeah, very much so. And you, you want pure water. So most water is contaminated and they're finding, um, especially in like New York state, you can't check somebody's lead level. Hmm. If I want to do a blood test or urine test to look for heavy metals, if you live in New York city or New York state, they will not do it. And the reason is, is that a lot of these communities that have been around for several hundred years have lead pipes, lead pipes. Yeah. and they've not taken the lead out. And then also they had a lot of lead paint. Right. And so like where the subways are and all that, they would do lead paint and then the paint flakes off. Yeah. And then, you know, you breathe it and somebody drives over and then they bring the mm -hmm. dust and they aromatize everything. So if you live back east or in Flint, Michigan and a variety of other places, they're finding lead is in the water. Right. And then also Boulder removed chlorine from the water. They actually ozonate it now. And the reason they did that is because there was 2,100 gallons of chlorine, liquid chlorine out there. And it was built in like a bomb shelter. Because if that broke, the chlorine gas would kill everybody within about a two to five mile radius. So they had this evacuation reverse 911 plan. Right. Well, if you use chlorine to kill bacteria in water and purify it, then what does that do to your microbiome? What does that do to your body? Chlorine and fluoride in the water, mm -hmm. um, that came about from nuclear uh, enhancement of uranium. They had to use a lot of fluoride was a waste product. And so they took the fluoride and what are you going to do? You're going to pay thousands of dollars per, you know, whatever it is to stick it in some kind of hazmat place. Or what do you do? You sell it to communities to put fluoride put in, in their water. water. Right. But if you look at Weston Price, who traveled the world looking at indigenous cultures, there was no tooth decay prior to the induction of sugar and flour. Right. Once the modern food came in, you'll see pictures of twins. One likes sugar and flour, one doesn't. The twin that eats good, uh, you know, no twisted teeth, no, yeah. no removal of the wisdom teeth, but the sibling has a shorter jaw and each mm -hmm. generation it gets worse. The sinuses collapse in, the teeth twist. And so you have a need for orthodonture. So the shape of the palate changes yeah, too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so if you, if we want to be proactive as a culture, we should just eliminate, you know, mm -hmm. minimize sugar and also, you know, remove the glutinous, you know, processed foods. And we could eliminate a lot of need for dental work Yeah, because, you know, it's more palliative. And so our culture is not proactive. 
And a lot of dentists think that fluoride is good. And then bromine is uh, used in the new car smell. A lot of that is a uh, potassium bromate. It's a preservative that kills things. And they also put it in bread. It's a preservative in a lot of breads that have long shelf life. Mm-hmm. So, and then there's iodine, which we all need for our thyroid. Well, all four of those elements are in the periodic chart in one line. And so there's a test to see how much iodine somebody has, but you can also look at the bromine, the chlorine, and the fluoride to look for competing elements because you may have enough iodine, but if your thyroid's poisoned by fluoride and chlorine and bromine, then basically what's going to happen is you get this competition thing going. You won't so absorb you the iodine to, you're getting. Yeah. 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 So you need to like remove the halogens from the body uh-huh. because for the body stress and hypercoagulation, it doesn't matter what the stress is. It could be emotional. It could be physical and it can also be chemical. So the more toxic the body is, that's another stressor that causes the hypercoagulation. And how do you have to chelate to you to remove the the fluoride and bromine from the body. So um, you and can chlorine. you can chelate, but you can also push the iodine and then remove the chlorine, remove oh, just the fluoride, remove the source, and remove the bromine. Yeah. So if you can remove the source, then you'll stop poisoning yourself. Yeah. And then you supplement the iodine. You kind of flush it out. Mm. Chelate means cat, uh, crab claw, and so a chelation um, was done back in World War II due to lead poisoning from women and men working in the munitions plants because mm-hmm. a lot of the the missiles and whatnot had a lead bullet or you know a lead whatever uh-huh. and so they would basically there was a blood level test that if you're beyond it you couldn't work anymore so they figured if you got a, a edta is the first chelator they came out with and it's four vinegar molecules side by side and what it does is it encompasses the lead it encompasses the mercury it encompasses the aluminum and easily takes that out of the body without poisoning the kidney or the brain. Because mm. one of the reasons it gets sequestered in the body, in your fascia, which we've discovered mm-hmm. by doing our global postural stretching, when we open up our fascia, basically Ian, Sophie, and I start detoxifying. And so it shows up as skin lesions, a digestive upset, you know, diarrhea, dark colored stool, bad breath, body odor. And so basically... It only showed up, especially when we ran out of our cilantro pesto, which is a natural chelator. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's on my website in the diet part. And so we eat one or two tablespoons of it every day. Mm-hmm. And so we were locked down. So we ran out of it for three or four days and bingo, you know, as long as you're pulling the poisons out, the body's really cool with it. But if it's used to mobilizing the poisons, then what happens is if you take the, the support away, the cilantro, then all these metals that you've been pulling out, they start to accumulate in the body in unhealthy levels. Mm-hmm. So then the body goes into stress mode. You're going to get hypercoagulation, but also it just dysregulates your hormones. So from a very big picture perspective, like our, our conversation is quite technical. We're getting into a lot of nuance and detail, which I definitely appreciate, yeah, yeah. but I just want to focus out for a moment. It sounds like on a really big level, all we're saying is you got to sweep your doorstep. You have to clean the body constantly, yep. Yep. right? Exactly. And that means Every day. healthy breathing, right? Healthy Good. sweat. Yep. Abundant water, abundant healthy water, hot, and yep. then sleep. Yep, you know regular and nutritious meals, mm-hmm. eating as much of a natural food in the natural state as yep. possible, yep. and also you know it's it's eating a wide variety of foods. And I also that for me includes ethnic food. So I eat Japanese food, Thai food, mm-hmm. Vietnamese. Uh, let's see. Mediterranean style, Southwestern food. So, but it, you cook all that. I cook you don't all that. Go to a. You're not going to a Thai restaurant. And uh, actually, I go to Aloy. You know, okay. it's really nice because they cook with rice bran oil. But for fifty cents more, you can get coconut oil. Hmm. 
And so, I mean, it's really clean preparation. I digest it really well. They don't use any MSG. You can ask them to, you know, which dishes have sugar and, and try to minimize those dishes. So okay. we just try to basically everything that we talk about, there's a lot of nuances, like you said. And also it's really simple. I mean, it. I when we get to people's uh, uh, grooming habits, yes. this is big area of poison and house cleaning agents, yes. big area of poisons. And so if you make good choices on that side, then again, you're sweeping your doorstep. You're not bringing a lot of poisons in. You're wiping your yeah. shoes off before you come in the house. Yeah, <laughs> basically. So, okay, you're an athlete. So how does hypercoagulation and the compromising of your circulation, how does that impact your performance? Mm -hmm. Well, you're going to get more lactic acid. Because you're not getting the oxygen and nutrients to the cells, the body's going to have to switch from burning fat with oxygen present to burning sugar. And that's going to make lactic acid. And then you're going to get um, less performance. You're going to be sore afterwards. And then also you're going to shift your body pH. And that acidic pH means more inflammation, which means your recovery time is going to increase. And also your ability to perform is going to decrease. Uh, risk of injury goes up. Because if your oxygen level's down and your body's stressed, you're not going to be able to perform at your optimum level. And so you're likely to tweak something or you're going to try to push to your normal level of performance. But it's kind of like driving around with your emergency brake off on and you pulled off a couple spark plugs. It's going to take a lot more energy to get to where you're going and you're going to leave your tank's going to run out of gas faster. So if your tissues aren't as oxygenated, you're less likely to have a cleaner mechanical pattern during load. Is that That's a way correct. to think about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you get a little sloppy. So the knees yep. start to track medially, for example, yep. put some more tension on that T-band. Yep. You continue that pattern over time, and eventually you get patellar tracking syndromes, as an yep. example, or yep. lower back pain, pelvis yep. starts to dump, et cetera, right? Yes, that yeah. is correct. Yeah. Okay. And so, again, water is the easiest thing. But then also, you know, like spices like ginger and turmeric, they thin mm. the blood. Um, let's see, Japanese, they eat natto, stinky tofu cheese. Mm -hmm. That's a blood thinner. And so not only does it thin the blood, but it digests clots and strokes. But there's a Japanese uh, and Chinese herbal medicine called lumbrokinase, and it's earthworm enzyme. And that actually, it's 10 times more potent, potent than the natto, mm -hmm. but also it digests the clot, but it doesn't thin the blood. So depending on somebody's INR, which is what we talked about last time, the, the clotting factor, the blood viscosity, where one is normal for most Americans, and you want to be between like... 1.6 and 2, 2.5. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, you can achieve that by, you know, good fish oils and a vegetable-based diet and, you know, your good olive oil or avocado oil and, you know, your goat butter and your tallows mm -hmm. and all that. You can use those to nourish the body and also help the cell membranes not be so sticky. And is the test we use to um, determine the blood viscosity, is that an easy-to-use to test? Can people order that somewhere online? Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, you do the INR, IN ratio, mm -hmm. and uh, that's basically, it's a real easy test to do. Any doctor can run it. You can probably just stop by Quest and, you know, they'll run tests for people just, you know, off the street. But there's not a finger prick version of that, is there? It's no. You have to do go to a yeah. Quest Lab or a similar yeah. lab and get yeah. blood. Yeah, okay. get blood. But yeah. also, you can. There's a blood test that I do. Where it's a dry spot test. So you just take a couple drops of blood, and stick it on this piece of paper, and send it off to the lab. They do an essential fatty acid analysis. Mm. So you can look at your omega threes and your omega sixes, but you can also look at your stearic acid, your oleic acid, and so you you get a breakdown of all the fats, and then they tell you foods you can eat <laughs> to bring your fatty acid into balance. And they've done okay. tens of thousands of these tests. Okay. And that need, you need a, doctor, a doctor's prescription for that test as well? Or? Um, 
I think you can probably just Google, you know, um, blood spot analysis for essential fatty acid. And I think okay. they actually just do tests for people off the street too. Okay. But it'd be nice to have your work with your physician and have he or she help monitor your case, but also it educates the doctor or your practitioner in how to do a better job of balancing your essential fatty acids. Mm -hmm. Gives you some insight into the foods you yeah. are eating versus yeah. the ones maybe that could be optimized. Correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. Great. And so let's see. Uh, and also with hypercoagulation, you're not going to heal as quickly. So your recovery time goes up. And uh, one easy way to treat this is to give blood every two months. So mm -hmm. I recommend that all menstruating, all non-menstruating men and women <laughs> give blood. And then for a woman who's menstruating, it's basically you have to watch your iron level and your hematocrit. Because when you go in to give blood, they, they do a little test for your hematocrit and they want to see what your hemoglobin is because they want to see how much iron you have. And mm -hmm. if you're under a certain level, you can't give blood. Right. So this is a good point. I've heard Mercola talk about how basically iron, iron is a growth factor, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so iron is something that's a little tricky. And I think it's easy for endurance athletes to be misled about iron, particularly men. So women who are menstruating, obviously they can be challenged to keep their iron levels high enough because yeah. they're losing blood every month yeah. normally. Yeah. yeah. Right. But men, we don't lose blood unless we crash or give it or donate yeah. it or yeah. get attacked by a tiger or something. So when when you have iron in your system as a young growing man, that's a good thing because iron yep. is a growth factor. It helps you grow muscle, helps you grow bone, grow all the things that need to be grown. Yep. You and I are well past the age where we should be growing. So if we have growth factors in our bodies, they might grow things that we don't want to grow. Yep. Right. And uh, it's, a, it's an oxidative stress and that oxidative right. stressor causes inflammation. And so yeah. when I hit about 53, all of a sudden my iron shot up and my ferritin went up and I had hemochromatosis, which is yep. basically liver inflammation from too much iron. So I started giving blood. I used to give it when I was young, you know, in college, they would do blood drives. And then I just got out of the habit. Mm. And this is that thing about like apple juice. It's like, if you just start getting in the habit of giving blood every two months and you schedule your next mm -hmm. appointment, you feel so much lighter afterwards. You know, mm. I never exercise hard after I give blood till the next day. And I know some of my endurance drops a little bit because I've lost some blood and yeah. it's a vital substance in oriental medicine. It's very important, mm -hmm. but uh, my body feels much better. Yeah. So Ian Sophia, you know, she's not menstruating anymore. So she gives blood every two months too. And we just make it a date. Yeah. Yeah. We just go and save a life and, uh, you, and your life will be better. Right. Right. So I think where athletes can get maybe a little crosswired on that is that especially if there are some younger athletes, well, at times maybe their diet's not optimized and they go to the doctor and they do a blood test and they see their iron, their ferritin levels are really low, serum ferritin or yeah. iron levels are super low. And then of course that compromises performance. Yeah. So your blood is one of the most critical aspects of your performance as an endurance athlete, but that shifts as you get older, right? Yeah. And we really have to be careful about iron levels are starting to accumulate in the body. So what age would you say people, it's really critical for people to start monitoring that? I think you actually, you want to do it when you're younger so that you don't get to the point where your iron load is excessive and you have to deal with that. So I was really surprised, but I'm watching it in my older male patients somewhere around, you know, 40 to 55 mm -hmm. is when they start to accumulate iron. Okay. And then that damages the brain. It damages the blood vessels. It damages everything. Taxes the liver. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Good question. So that pretty much covers the that portion. And then uh, the fascial mobility and restrictions. What's interesting is that epigenetically you are, if you look at your parents and aunts and uncles and your cousins and your grandparents, it's kind of like that's your genetic uh, flow. That's your epigenetics. That's what you inherited. Those are your tendencies. 
Now, DNA is 99.9% .9 space. So how it replicates is influenced by your psychological state. So if you meditate, you'll get better DNA transcription. Your body's going to be healthier. Mm -hmm. If you eat really well and you work with your pH, your DNA will replicate itself better. But there are certain people that are under methylators, and I'm one of them, and most people are, that you have to take the activated B vitamins to get the body to create the energy, to detoxify for your brain and your nervous system to work well, to balance out your hormones. Mm -hmm. And so that all starts in the womb. And so if you look at the nine months, I ask people, what my intake form is 17 pages long. Some people get so freaked out by looking at their life and their parents and their cleaning supplies and all their systems, their cardiovascular, their genital urinary, the, all the systems. And so some people get it back and they're really excited. And some people wait until the very last minute to get it to me because it's traumatic for them mm -hmm. to sit back and take a look at the big picture of how they got to where they are presenting to my office mm -hmm. and coming in for their visit. Mm -hmm. So that, and then your birth experience. And then after that, you know, basically if your parents are a little uptight and tense, you're going to have a different fascial pattern. If there's a lot of emotional heaviness in your family, you're going to have a different postural fascial pattern. So as we go in and we stretch out this fascia, one of the things I loved about the global postural stretching is you always engage the hands, you always engage the feet, you always lengthen the spine. You're mostly looking down at your belly button because you want to stretch your dura. So mm -hmm. I've never, I've been a two-dimensional stretcher. That's what I learned, you know, just passively stretch your hamstring, passively do this and that. So this whole concept of active stretching global well, active yeah. yeah it was it was mind-boggling for me mm -hmm. to actually be able to feel a vertebra or a small muscle in mm -hmm. different parts of my body because i've never been able to isolate mm -hmm. my my movement to that specific fascia mm -hmm. and so after our session last time i decided that well maybe doing plango six days a week and one day with uh nikki costello doing eldo and myofascial stretching maybe i should do plango three days a week and alternate with global postural stretching. Mm -hmm. And so Ian, Sophie, and I have changed the movement pattern. So we get the intense, high intensity cardio three days a week, dog walking long distance three days a week. And then we do the GPS. And it is so exciting to go in and lengthen and open up different parts of the body because my brain is actually getting to know myself. So I didn't come with an instruction manual. Nobody taught me how to like be fully in my body because I can do the passive work you know, and open up the fascia and turn the muscles on and turn the brain back on. But each person has to move back into their body. So I try to give them some, some gentle, you know, GPS kind of stretches to do so that that part of their body that's compromised can actually get stronger. They can move in and they're reading the software of how their body works. And then they're very excited. Mm -hmm. So, and everybody's body tells a story. And so there's the acute stressor of like the fire and the smoke and the evacuations in our community, just a lot of distress, you know, on the Western slope and then up by Fort Collins too, because we had the biggest fire ever in Grand Junction. And then that fire went out and then we had the Cameron Peak fire, which is now the largest one ever in Colorado. And then we have the one on the Western slope, the Troublesome Creek. Now that this fire has the perfect name, Troublesome Creek. <laughs> it's a big trouble. And so that's now the second biggest fire ever. So in the span of this one year, We've had the massive fires, and the, ours was only like 10,000 acres, and the other one was 480, which sounds insignificant, mm -hmm. unless you're living right next door and you're being evacuated. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we just keep breaking new records. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know, as it relates to the fascia, um, I had a growth cut off my leg, and it was benign. Uh, mm -hmm. But it took three days to come back because it was some rare tissue growth that they'd never seen. So, you know, my medical mind starts running with that and that creates more stress. Mm -hmm. So 
when he took it out, I hear this. And I said, are you separating my skin from the underlying fascia? Because yeah. he was a plastic surgeon. Yeah. I didn't just go to a dermatologist and have him whack it off. I actually went to somebody who artfully removed it. And he said, yes, he was separating the underlying fascia so it wouldn't pucker. Mm -hmm. But when I got home, I noticed that it was on the outside of my left leg on my gallbladder meridian. It pulled all the way down to my, my left fourth and fifth toe. And it pulled all the way up into my low back on the left. So I had to work the fascial pathway. Otherwise, I'd be left with a restriction that would alter my gait pattern and right. then would create an injury and additional trauma. Paul would call this technique surrounding the dragon. Yes. You have an area of injury that's acute where, yeah. you know, in your case, on that gallbladder meridian point, yeah. you work above and below also yeah. to relieve the stress, right? Yeah. 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 And so and it's, it's funny we use it because in Chinese medicine, we call it circle the dragon. So okay. if you've yeah. got a dysfunction, you can do moxa around it or you can do acupuncture around it mm -hmm. to help energize the tissue and speed up the healing process. Right, right. Uh, so if it left untreated, you know, this, this fascial dysfunction, the take home is basically it's going to decrease your efficiency of movement. It's going to create an abnormal pattern. You're going to get an injury somewhere mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be close to where the, the dysfunction is because of the 360 sphere of fascia, any injury somewhere can cause something somewhere else that doesn't even look like, uh, it belongs there. And Jean-Pierre Barral, he was my visceral manipulation instructor. He said, well, you think it is, it is not, you have to look elsewhere. <laughs> so that's like, why we, we look at the whole body Yeah, and, and how to work with it. It's like pulling on the spider web. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Or yeah. the other analogy that I've heard used, which also Paul Cech uses is you have a still swimming pool, you throw a pebble in one end. Over a long enough timeline, every molecule of water in the whole pool will eventually be influenced by that pebble yep. being thrown, yep. right? Yeah, very true. Yeah. Good analogy. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, so also it decreases your ability to respond because, you know, again, it's going to take more effort to accomplish whatever movement that you like to do. So if you think about it this way, by getting treated, getting an integrated treatment and corrective treatment, we're going to improve your efficiency of movement. Your ability to respond is going to be better. We're going to hook up those spark plug wires that we talked about that got pulled off. And we're going to release that emergency brake so we can efficiently move. Mm -hmm. And also the brain's going to get to know the body better. And also your circulation of fluids is going to improve. So you're, you're going to have less hypercoagulation. You're going to have better lymph drainage. So that just means more oxygen and nutrients to the tissue. Your immune system, which works through the lymphatics, gets pumped with movement also. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the breathing is so important because when you take that deep breath in, your diaphragm goes down, your blood pressure goes up, and your lymph pressure goes up. And on the full, complete exhale through your nose nice and deeply, that raises the diaphragm, your blood pressure drops, and your lymph pressure drops. And so you actually suck the lymph and the blood back into the heart. Yeah. Mm. And then using your mechanical pump. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. And the, like for you, doing a bike fit. Now, it's interesting because I, I, I really watch people and how they move. And I see how many people run not on a right size bike for themselves, uh, both lengthwise, but height wise, mm -hmm. and where their seat is related to, you know, their pedals and how mm -hmm. they're tracking and whatnot. And, you know, some people, their knees are too far in, some they're too far out. Yep. And so this all creates stress in the fascial system. So by doing, uh, getting, you know, good shoes, by getting a bike fit, mm -hmm. uh, you know, by doing global postural stretching and improving the efficiency of movement and coming back to a, like a really good neutral, yeah. that is so important when you're doing your movement. So I cannot emphasize enough get treated and have proper gear. Yeah. I spent a lot of my time educating clients about what, what neutral, good neutral movement should look like or, or does look like. Um, 
bike fitting in particular, it's, it's come a long way in the last decade, but I would say that it's kind of gone through a phase of old school dogmatic thinking. Uh, there are actually fitters who would just sort of put riders on a bike. And if they sat with this spine that was in flexion, you know, in one or focused in one or two vertebra or kind of craning over the entire vertebra. So you sat like a giant rainbow, the fitter would just say, well, that's just how they sit on the bike. There was no coaching. There was no, well, we can prove that. Let's educate the rider about how they are sitting on the bike. What muscles are active? What muscles are inactive? What are they, what muscles should they be using to support themselves on the bike versus what shouldn't, et cetera. And so fittings come a long way in that respect, but also likewise, there are fitters who used to coach that they wanted the knees to track as medially as possible. So they were basically your, your vastus medialis, your inside quad muscle was basically grazing the top tube on every pedal stroke. In fact, just recently, I've had a couple riders come in who have worn the paint off their top tubes from the knees striking the top tube yeah. on every pedal stroke. And they ride that way for years and years. And then they come to me for a fit and we talk about the implications of that, how the pelvis is going to dump and they probably don't have very good core control and how the navicular's dropped in and they've got a lot of medial rotation or pronation to the entire lower leg, right? And yeah, yeah you can make do with that. You can yeah. pedal a bike like that. But if you come to see me and you've been riding a bike for decades, ostensibly, you don't really want to just pedal a bike. You want to do it as well as possible. Yeah. Right. Yes. So. Well, it's interesting because, you know, when you overpronate and that navicular drops down, yep. your tibia turns internally. Yes. And then what that does is it stresses the medial collateral ligament, the medial mm -hmm. meniscus. And so it puts an abnormal biomechanical pressure on that. Mm -hmm. And then it creates, uh, you know, basically. Up the chain. Yeah. Work yeah. up the chain. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. people wonder why cyclists are known for having tight IT bands. Yeah. Right. And TFL when they get on the massage table chronically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. if your femurs are internally rotated. Yep. Guess what? It's going to put a lot of tension on that exterior yeah. exterior fascial line or, or lateral fascial line of the IT band. And you know, what's interesting about that is that you know the quad and the hamstring actually actually insert on the IT band, mm -hmm. and so if you have a dynamic tension in a muscular imbalance between the two, you're already going to have IT band issues even if you have proper alignment. Right. And so that's why it's so important for cyclists and runners who do two dimensional activities that they get that medial lateral movement in some other form of their cross training, mm. so that they can have the strength and the flexibility and the endurance and stamina and be a well rounded person who enjoys a certain activity. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Just the other day I did a warm up with a couple of my athletes before we did a kettlebell strength session. And we did some warm up that is taken from uh, a guy I've been studying. His name is Mike Salemi. He's, he specializes in kettlebell stuff and he does a warm up that really focuses on frontal plane movement. So that's bending from side to yeah. side, which gets you out of the sagittal plane movement yeah. or the two dimensional motion yeah. of cycling and running, which is yeah. all just, you know, quads and extension, flexion yeah. extension of the yeah. quads and hips. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, or the knees and hips, I should say. And immediately both athletes were like, wow, this feels weird. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and that told me right away, okay, we need more of this. As Paul would say, yeah. if you can't, you must. Yeah. Meaning if you really are challenged by a particular activity, you need it. that's a sign. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, we're not talking about excessive weird activities like yeah. jumping out of helicopters necessarily. We're yeah. talking about planes of movement, yep. simple motion, simple strengths of feet. Can yeah. you do a pull-up? Can you do a push-up? Yeah. Arguably, you should be able to do more than one. Can you move in the frontal plane without it feeling, you know, yeah. weird? Yeah, so you want to be – it's normal. So right. this is that creating the new normal that we talk about. So mm -hmm. when we ask our body to do things it normally doesn't do, so rotation, flexion, extension, lateral flexion, you want to combine all three planes in different mm -hmm. movements so that the brain and the proprioceptors in, you know, the skin and the superficial deep fascia, the muscle, the joints – 
all that can feed back to the brain in a different way. And you want it to basically, it becomes your new normal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then from that, you know, with all that we're talking about as it relates to the fascia, you want to hone your craft. So whatever you choose to do, do it well. Mm -hmm. And so whether, like I said, it's plango or global postural stretching, bicycle riding, hiking, right. just be mindful, be present, and also do the widest variety of activities that you enjoy because each one is going to do something special, different for your body and your, your, your kinesthetic balance, your strength, your joint proprioception. So you'll actually be a much healthier person and more well-rounded. So it just takes a bit of understanding into the nature of the motion of the activity you're doing. Yep. You have a basic understanding of that, then you can offset it. Yes. Right. Yep. Or complement it with yep. other modes of exercise. That's yeah. correct. Good. So any questions about that at all? Because we're going to get into some of the other questions you sent me. Let's do it. Okay. Right. Okay. Do I recommend deodorant or antiperspirant? That was a really good question because this is one of the issues I have when I, on my 17-page questionnaire is that normally you want to sweat because it's a detoxification, especially for the breast tissue. So if I put antiperspirant on and I'm not sweating, that's going to retard the drainage of the breast. So you're more likely to have breast inflammation, breast cysts, and breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the antiperspirant. I tell people it's kind of like sewing your anus shut. Mm -hmm. Basically, you're not allowing yourself to excrete these poisons. But also, in nature, I mean, my dogs smell each other all the time. Hey, right. man, what's happening? They bump into somebody on the road, and they're like, hey, how you doing? You know, you're doing pretty good, or maybe not. So you want to, you want to be able to – I don't use deodorant, so how am I doing today? <laughs> oh, I'm doing pretty good. I don't have any body odor at all. Colby, how are you doing? Don't have that acrid stench? Yeah. I'm doing all right. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. How and many so, toxins are we <laughs> exactly. letting out in our environment? Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, when I did the GPS, all of a sudden I had body odor mm. and that's, it wrung out my fascia. Yep. And so all these poisons are circulating through my lymphatics and they show up in your armpit. They show up in your breath. They'll show up in your pee and your, in your stool. Mm -hmm. So any change in odor is giving you an indication what you're doing and how well you're doing with it. Mm -hmm. So deodorant, you know, some people need it. And so uh, there's a, t a crystal. Basically, salt inhibits the growth of bacteria, but allows you to sweat. Right. So for some people who don't have really bad body odor, that works well. And then there's some other witch hazel blends that have like lavender essential oil in it. And so it's like find whatever you can use, but the best thing is do nothing at all because you secrete pheromones. So if if we give each other a hug back in the day pre-COVID <laughs> and, uh, you know, your, the smell of your skin, your body odor when you're close to somebody, it, it, you, you get to know how they're doing. And also how they're feeling because you, the essence you put out comes from your DHEA hormone mm -hmm. and it, your body makes pheromones. And so th that's how we used to mate, you know, and things like that. Right. So, you know, right. back before, you know, deodorants, so, which, you know, then it brings us to the next uh, well, thing. You don't oh. want to camouflage your own natural pheromones with Axe body spray. I mean, why is that not a good idea? Exactly. That's the big one. So when I was, when I, back in the day about maybe... 45 years ago, Brute 33 was out. So that was the deodorant and the toxic smelling aftershave. Oh. But the new one is uh, a lot of women even come in and they use Old Spice because it reminds them of like their dad or their grandpa or a boyfriend or something they had. And so what I tell people is whatever you put in your armpit, it's like eating it. So if you don't want to eat it, don't put it in your armpit. <laughs> don't put it in your armpit. Or another way to think yeah. about it is if it don't, if you wouldn't put it in your mouth, don't put it on your body, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because because that, that brings me the skin. to our next conversation, which is perfume, scented lotions, and cologne. Oh. All right. So the average woman 
who uses more products than a man will get absorb five pounds of poisons every year. Mm-hmm. And that's from makeup, that's from body lotions, that's from deodorant, feminine hygiene spray, you know, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And so one of my patients, uh, she brought her mom in and the mom knew that I, I have a scent-free office. And there's a reason for that because I don't want to be inhaling all these toxins. Mm-hmm. So uh, the mom comes in and she's got rose uh, cologne on. And so I asked her, I said, are, are you just trying to cover up the decaying, rotting stench of your body, which is why you came in, because you have serious health issues? Wow. And, and she said that her grandma used to take rose petals, which are probably organic, uh-huh. and she would rub herself down with rose petals. Which sounds lovely. And I said, rose petals are fine, especially if they're organic. I even eat them. I put them on my jajik, my mm-hmm. uh, uh, zizik, and uh, they're fantastic, and they're very nutritious because mm-hmm. it's another food, and we like, like we like variety of spices and foods. But she's using this this perfume. Well, perfume is an aldehyde. Aldehydes are related to formaldehyde. They're liver toxic. And so if you want to increase your toxic burden, then you want to use like, I used to use chaps, Mm -hmm. you know, but the thing is, is that when you start using cologne and perfume, you become desensitized to smell. So you start slapping more and more on just so that you can smell it. But then when you go somewhere, somebody knows you're coming down the hall five minutes before you get there because their stench comes in ahead of you and announces clouds of of trying to cover up my bad body odor. This is like old lady perfume syndrome, right? Yeah, it is. Basically, they can't smell it. So they just go two, three, four times the application. Indeed. Then everybody's eyes are watering. Exactly. Yeah. And also what it does is it decreases your sensitivity to other smells. Mm. And so this is also true with cleaning supplies. And so, you know, people come in and uh, they're using Dove body soap, petroleum based, Mm -hmm. not the olive oil soap. Um, Some people soap their entire body up, destroying their microbiome. And so I tell people just the private parts of the armpits and the private parts. That's all that gets the soap. Mm-hmm. Everything else you want to leave with its natural flora on. You want, you want the bacteria from rubbing your dog and, you know, playing with your cat and being out in the dirt. You want that on your microbiome. Mm. And so you really want to be able to, to, to smell that. And you want to keep your own, you know, bacteria as, into, as possible. And now, do you think that applies to even, let's say someone goes on a 80, 100 mile bike ride in the summer and it's really hot? And they're sweating profusely for hours. Do you still think that kind of that same rule applies, or should we go ahead and soap up on those days? I wouldn't soap up on those days. I'd stick to the armpits. Critical areas. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the reason is, is basically when you're sweating that much, you know, you rehydrate, you need your trace minerals and all that. Yeah. Which brings me, because I was going to ask you about this later, as it relates to cyclists, you're doing an unsustainable activity. So you have to have carbohydrates on the ride. And a lot of people do these gooey, you know, liquid things that are basically pure sugar and cavities and other uh, dysfunction in the oral and also the whole body yeah. uh, as it relates to your endocrine system. So you were telling me that uh, there's a rice ball that has a little umi paste and prosciutto mm-hmm. that you used to use. And to me, that makes much more sense. It's actually, it's a real food. Yeah. And so if, if you're going to push yourself that hard and you need the extra carbohydrates and a little bit of fat with it, that's the way to go. That's Lentine and I talk quite a bit about that. And Lentine used to work at Scratch Labs and that's Dr. Alan Lim's book the scratch cookbook and yeah. he's got a lot of great recipes in there for yeah. rice balls you can use on the bike yeah. that have a little bit of egg and yeah yeah tasty stuff in there a little bit yeah. of prosciutto yeah yeah to me i mean that just makes perfect sense my first choice again it i mean not to sound like a broken record but it always comes back to eat as much real food as possible and i'll say on that point that about two years ago i went to the dentist and they actually were a bit perplexed by my teeth because they said that I had some of the cleanest teeth they'd seen in a long time, like no residual plaque, no 
real hard stuff. You know, when they have to go in with the metal the scraper and yep. scrape everything off and you feel little bits hitting you in the yep. gums and stuff. He said, your teeth are really clean, but you've got actually a, a quite a few micro cavities. What is going on with your mouth? And, you know, how do you eat? I said, well, I told him how I eat off the bike. Pretty clean. Don't eat a lot of sugar. Are you flossing regularly? Yes. Are you brushing? Yes. Brush every day, at least twice. What do you use? I use a Sonicare. What kind of toothpaste? Dr. Bronner's. Okay. What kind of mouthwash do you use? I use that dental herb mouthwash company, yep. which has uh, um, essential oil blend in it, which is really powerful. We can put a link to that in the show notes. You can get it on Amazon now, which is great. That's a one. It's by far the best mouthwash I've ever found. And they were like, hmm. And I thought about it for a minute. And then I realized I'd done several long bike rides and events uh, the previous two summers and been drinking. What do you do when you, when you go on the bike, you drink a lot of different drinks in your body, in your, excuse me, in your water bottle and they're powdered and they're sugar-based. So you're riding for five, six hours in the summer sun and you're just slow dripping sugar water the whole time. Yeah. And that is a recipe for an acidic environment in your mouth. that's just yeah. going to eat away your enamel. So yeah. at that moment, I mean, I get there's a tension here. If you're a competitive athlete and you're racing a hundred mile road race, you might accept that that's your performance angle. You're going to probably need a fair supply of sugar to meet the demands of that event. Yes. You're a competitive. I did it for years. However, on the weekends, I would encourage you to investigate real food options. When you're slamming gels and sugar water the whole time, you're, you're inviting a recipe for a bunch of cavities. And I, I like my dentist, but I'd prefer to not buy him more BMWs. Mm -hmm. And I also prefer to not spend more time in a dental chair. Yeah. It's just one of those activities I like less of in my life yes. personally. I agree. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, it was just interesting. I real I put all that together. I was like, wow, I've been and that those two summers in particular, I had done quite a bit of summer riding in the heat and had been drinking a lot of typical sports drinks. Even it doesn't matter if it's air quotes natural or not, mm -hmm. it's yep. all sugar. Yep. Right. It's like, that same environment in the mouth. Well, it's like, you know, recharge by Newton. Yeah. So basically it's mostly water with a little fruit juice and they put some electrolytes in it, but there's no artificial flavor and artificial color. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking at Powerade or Sharkade or Gatorade, you're looking at basically, uh, and also they don't use sea salt, they use toxic salt. Mm -hmm. So if you get, I like flower of the ocean by Celtic sea salt, but you could just use the Celtic sea salt and it has all the trace minerals from the ocean in it. And it's not a waste product. So Morton salt is heated up to 2,000 degrees. It shortens the sodium chloride bond. They also take all the trace minerals out and sell it to other people. Right. So what you're buying is a waste product. But the reason they tell people it's nutritious is because it has iodine in it. And when you live between uh, the Cascades and the Rockies and the Appalachian Mountains, this is goiter central. Mm -hmm. you know, there is no iodine in our food. So we have to have the seaweed. We have to have the trace minerals. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. we need it. Well, same in Colorado, right? We're a long way from the ocean here. Yeah, we are. Yeah. My ancestors didn't grow up that far from the ocean, but now I live, I love Colorado. It's an yeah. amazing state, but there's not, uh, there's no beaches here. Yeah, no. Well, there is at the Boulder Res, but do you ever wonder how there's never any E. coli uh, alert till after they close the beach and it's at the end of the summer and miraculously, oh, the microbiome of the water has gone south because they're just downstream from the Boulder Valley Ranch with all the horses and the cattle. Yeah. So all their feces runs, you know, off. Water runoff down, right into yeah, the reservoir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, basically it gets back to everything should be scent free. 
So if I get my green cleaning products from like Whole Foods or Vitamin Cottage or Alfalfas and I go to the aisle and I'm looking at 7th Generation and the Boulder Clean Company and whatnot, just get as much unscented natural non-petroleum-based cleaning agents as possible because you don't need Lysol and Pine Sol and Listerine, you know, as it relates to your mouth and your halitosis and all that. So if you make a better choice then you're not going to poison yourself because I'll walk into somebody's house and they use toxic cleaning supplies and I don't feel good. Mm -hmm. A little bit of brain fog, my eyes burn a little bit, my nose burns a little bit. But for this person, this is their everyday normal. So again, once people, I, you can take it to the hazmat place at the uh, Eco Center, mm -hmm. EcoCycle, and they actually have a place where you can drop off your toxic cleaning supplies because you've gone green. You don't want to poison yourself and squeeze that last penny out of you know what you already bought that's poisoning your body. And there are people who go there and shop. So as I'm putting stuff, you know, on the shelf, uh, like old paint supplies and things like that that I'm not using, somebody's coming in and getting it for free. Mm -hmm. But also when they take their cleaning supplies and their people go in and get the Lysol and they get the Pine Sol and they get the Cascade. One of our neighbors, uh, they were moving and they were going to have a, a meal for their son and their friend. And so they asked if they could borrow a pot and pan and some plates and a mixing bowl. And I said, sure. So I gave it to him. When it came back, it had cascade smell, you know, glued to the outside. Plus, <laughs> they didn't have a water filter in their house. So all the heavy metals that were in our water that we removed because we have whole house RO system mm -hmm. were glued to the plate. And then I realized that for several years before we figured out that our water was bad, that whatever is in the water gets glued on everything. So it's in every glass that you put your Eldorado water in. It just slowly bioaccumulates. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Accumulates, yeah, accumulates. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you stop the exposure and you go scent free, you can use essential oil. So like some people like lavender because it makes people really calm. Mm -hmm. But I know this one woman, she used a sexual abuse survivor and she put this essential blend on her body to help heal her body. It's a blend of oils called sexual abuse survivor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, basically she had some abuse in her past. Mm -hmm. So it made her feel good. But she'd go out and she'd be out in the world and somebody would just go off on her for no reason because <laughs> yeah. one person's medicine is another person's poison. Right. And so if you're running around with this certain vibration, the pheromone that you're bringing out into the world, mm. you're going to get a response, mostly positive, depending on what it is. Or sometimes in this case, it was a very negative response from people in her community yeah. environment. Yeah, you might whip up the hornet's nest a little bit. Yes, yes. Mm. So, uh, you know, as it relates to the, the diet, I really like the paleo diet because it's how we've all got here. We've been nomadic. We're eating local. We're eating in season. And the whole thing about the carnivore diet is back in the day, unless you're an Eskimo and you're in the Columbia River where salmon are running up and you can literally just pick them out of the stream or you're up in Alaska, you don't get a lot of protein because everything has a fang or a claw. Mm -hmm. And so either you're trying to eat it or something's trying to eat you. Mm -hmm. And so really, you know, vegetables are, you know, in season, the easiest way to get some calories, some fiber, you know. And, and what's interesting is that most animals put weight on through the spring, through the fall, mm -hmm. and then they lose the weight in the wintertime. But we're not that way because we have access to food 24-7, you know, from all over the planet. 365, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And right. so really it's, you know, just look at it. And so the reason the food pyramid is the way it is, it has to do with corporations and the government and the Department of Agriculture. So nobody needs, unless you're an, a great athlete, Six servings of grain a day, right. you know, cereal, toast, crackers, uh, pasta, this and that. What we need is a lot of vegetables, you know, some good protein, uh, good fats, and a little bit of salt, and a little bit of fruit, you know, and the low glycemic stuff. And 
unless you're an athlete and you're working out and you need a large volume of calories. And then we got to start adding in some fr- a lot of fruit, yeah. and then we're going to add in some you know non root vegetables, root vegetables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Paul makes that distinguish dis- distinguishes in vegetable world really easy. If it's below ground, it's a tuber or a root vegetable. It's yep. going to be a better source of carbohydrates. So yep. something you want to surround your harder workouts yep. with, yep. right? Either yep. before, during, or after. Yep. And if it's above ground vegetable, it's going to have higher nutrients, ideally if it's organic, of yep. course, yep. and lower lower caloric content and less carbs. Mm-hmm. Simple well, way to... It's interesting you would bring the organic thing. So organic now has 10 times more nutrients than commercial, but also commercial has like 10 to 20 times more of the pesticide residue yep. and the toxins. And because there's not a lot of nutrients there, it looks like broccoli, it looks like a carrot, but really it's not. And so it's empty calories. But I'd rather eat that than something else. You know, when I'm out and about in the world and I'm traveling, whenever I leave the house and I come back and it's a four-day seminar, so I'm gone for like five days, I walk through the door and he goes, where's Scott? And I'm like, he'll be back in a week. We need an intervention. Because <laughs> I put on like, I look like freaking Arnold Schwarzenegger. I put on 10 pounds and I'm all swollen and engorged. And yeah, so yeah, I need right. that week off of an intervention just to come back to myself. Yeah, yeah. The things we do to teach. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Very true. Very true. So a cyclist. Okay. Uh, what we're looking at is repetitive trauma to the body. So one is the dynamic posture. So I've seen people who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who love to cycle, but they look like Yoda. Mm-hmm. They've got that, you know, rounded shoulders, chest caved in, head anterior posture, and they've got low back pain. And so basically, we just work on, you know, bringing them back to their axial extension and give them the length that they need. Mm-hmm. That That's the easy part. The harder part is uh, for males, there's increased possibility of prostate problems, mm-hmm. uh, testicular uh, atrophy. And uh, scar tissue in the base of the penis, which leads to erectile dysfunction. So usually you get benign prostatic hypertrophy, loss of testosterone production, Mm -hmm. partially due to the excessive cortisol in digesting the testicles themselves, but the trauma to the testes and then erectile dysfunction because of the hypercoagulation, uh, that's blood circulation, and then also the circulation to the penis itself. And so most of that you think is because of literally mechanical restriction from sitting on the saddle all the time. Yeah, and just pedaling because it creates a fulcrum. Yeah. And that fulcra creates just minor irritation over a long period of time. And that's how you create scar tissue and alter the fascial system. Right. Right. So that's where all the pelvic opening exercises like in yoga and GPS and all that, you can literally go in and stretch it out, but you have to spend a lot of time. Mm. And I recommend that men ejaculate twice a week just to have a healthy prostate, but especially if you're prone to benign prostatic hypertrophy, which is a precursor to prostate cancer. Right. Right. So Kelly Starr has an exercise. He talks about um, opening the pelvic floor and he kind of describes it as he sort of describes the pelvic floor as roughly speaking, it's like a diamond shape. And he talks about there are different fascial myofascial release devices you can use that you basically sit on. And he's like, look, it don't do anything that hurts. Avoid all the holes and you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But pretty much you can learn to release your own pelvic floor by applying pressure to these devices. He's got one on uh, rogue fitness. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. It's called the supernova. It's a ball. that's about the size of a grapefruit. Mm-hmm. It's blue and it's got a texture on it that is specifically engineered to shear the fascia away from yeah. muscular connection. So oh, you can kind of nice. roll around on that uh-huh. yeah. again. Don't do anything that's painful or yeah. if it really hurts, then go see someone. Don't, the point is not to go to 10 on this and, you know, cause any problems. 
But and, and we're talking men and women here. Yeah, yeah. Just stay away from the holes and you'll be all right. But you can kind of go around that boundary mm-hmm. of that yeah. pelvic floor and release yeah. that muscle and start to feel, get in touch with what your pelvic floor is. Yeah. What do those muscles feel like when they've got some tension? What What does it feel like when I'm I'm sitting on this device? And I've got I activate my pelvic floor, do a Kegel, or yeah. if you're a man, the cue is bring the boys home. Yep. Right. Yeah. And start to feel that a little bit. That that's an important part of keeping. Reducing fascial adhesions, keeping circulation, keeping those muscles active and healthy, right? And for well, cyclists, that's important. Yeah, because there's your thoracic diaphragm, but your pelvic floor is like a bowl. And it's, yep. a, it's a circumference of a muscle that inserts upon itself mm-hmm. and surrounds the three holes, mm-hmm. you know, for a right. woman and two for a man. Because right. for the women... One the, for a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the chickens only have one hole. It's just a fact. Well, I didn't know that. I learned <laughs> something new today. Thank you, Colby. <laughs> You're welcome. So uh, for the woman, uh, the labial atrophy is a big issue, but also because the pelvic floor gets scarred and it gets tighter, it affects the three holes. So the urethra, the vagina, and the rectum. So you can start to have uh, scar tissue form. So it's hard to urinate. Um, You can't have intercourse Mm. because you've basically scarred the opening to the vagina. And also as it relates to the the rectum and the anus, you can get constipated and or develop hemorrhoids Mm. in both men and women. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a... This is obviously a central point to bike fitting. We've got to deal with your three contact points, your handlebars, your hands, yep. your feet, pedal, foot pedal interface, yep. and then your saddle. And yep. getting a saddle dialed in bike fit is absolutely crucial yep. because if your saddle's not right, then people make postural compensa- compensations while they're sitting on the bike to try to avoid pressure in certain yep. areas of the, yep. of the groin or the crotch. Yes. And so that is, it's so fundamental and essential. And I've had fit sessions where I go through a dozen saddles with riders one after another. I have a, a stationary bike there that's, that I set up where I can change saddles quickly and I just bang them out one after another. So I can, the, the easiest way, you know, there's some pressure mapping and some other technological devices you can use to try to figure this out. But in my experience, the simplest way is just put as many saddles as possible under the rider and, and coach them through the sensation so they can learn what they're feeling and give me feedback. Oh, yep. this this feels weird here. I get a pressure point there on this one. Okay, that's good. And we just narrow down the choices until we find the most optimal choice. And in most situations, when we try saddles back to back like that, you can really get a lot done because it enables riders to compare and contrast effectively. Yeah, yeah. And then hopefully we eliminate or or at least minimize pressure points. And in most cases, I found we can find a solution where the saddle just disappears under the rider. And not always, but frequently that's the case, or at least we optimize. And the experiences I've noticed are that people will come in and I'll say, what's your saddle on a scale of one to 10 right now? One being you're sitting on a screwdriver and 10 is it disappears. And a lot of times people say, oh, it's probably an eight or a nine, but really that saddle was a six or a five because they didn't know what a saddle that really disappeared under them could feel like. And so I give them more options. And that's one of the more rewarding parts of bike fitting when people come in and they were really struggling with saddle fit, especially women. I got to say women have it they're always skating a little more uphill than men in terms of finding a bicycle seat that will disappear. But I've had good success with that on the whole. So, well, you know, cause the, the pelvis is wider in a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's like, because there's no penis and testicles, it changes the biomechanics of the pelvis. Yep. Also. Yeah. And then also they've got the uterus in there. And so there's ligaments that go from the pubic bone around the bladder, 
around the uterus and around the rectum. Mm -hmm. And so depending on where you are in your cycle yep. or if you've been pregnant and stretched those ligaments and how they come back together, that dictates how the movement goes through the pelvis. Because every time you flex and extend, you're massaging your pelvic organs. Right. And moving all yep. those ligaments, putting yeah. tension on them. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, the pictures can be quite complicated. Yes. Yeah. So treating competitive endurance athletes, what is your relationship to fitness? I love what I do. I love GPS. I love walking my dogs. I love doing Polango. So it always brings joy to my heart. You know, see my dogs are happy and, you know, Ian and I get to be out in nature and get that earth time. You got to have that earth time. Mm. But also you just need to really enjoy it. So you might think about why do you do what you do and what joy, what enjoyment do you get from your experience? Because if you make yourself do something because you want to be a cyclist and you want to be competitive, but you don't like it, then I think really you should do something else. Re-examine. Yeah, yeah. re-examine your paradigm. Because if you're going to spend that much, invest that much time and resources in, you know, your equipment and, and being healthy, et cetera, it's really important that you enjoy what you do. Mm -hmm. And so there's a concept that I want everybody to understand is chronological age and biological age. Mm -hmm. So chronolo chronological age is your age plus nine months, including your conception and your time in the womb. Mm -hmm biological age and so if you go to emf-harmony.com mm -hmm. uh there's a i uh, did a seminar for the american association of naturopathic physicians and it's an hour-long one and you'll look you'll see a heart rate variability monitor uh printout in the powerpoint that goes along with my lecture what's interesting is that one of them says um chronological age and so they checked this gentleman and i think he was he was like 46 or so in his chronological age, biological age, when he went in, he was five years older. Mm -hmm. So then they gave him a cell phone and a laptop. And then his biological age was seven or eight years older. So then they put the EMF harmony bracelet on him and uh, like a little one that you have on your, your laptop there. Mm -hmm. And uh, his biological age was five years younger than he was. So literally it made him 10 years younger than his neutral, but 12 years younger than uh, when he was using his cell phone. And so that's what I found from doing the research. I've had several different evolution of EMF protection devices. And the EMF Harmony is the only one I found that leaves you better than you started. Mm -hmm. um, all the other ones, basically, you go back to your neutral point, which is better than, you know, the stress on the system. But when you, when you watch that lecture and you get to listen to it and go through the PowerPoint, you will find it so amazing because if you turn your cell phone on, everybody gets hypercoagulated. The blood vessels literally start, to, or the red blood cells stick together and they make what's called a rouleau formation. They look mm -hmm. like a stack of coins. So that's going to impede your circulation. So you're not going to be as effective in doing anything, let alone just getting through the day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So biological age is very important. And that, that also goes to how you eat. And if you eat real food, real food has chi. So that's going to make you younger. It's going to give you more energy, more stamina. If everything you eat is processed, cooked, and uh, you know, basically dead, then you're not going to get as much out of it. You'll still get some good carbohydrates, fats, and you know, proteins and some essential nutrients for your body, but you're not going to get the joie de vivre that when most people switch from a crappy diet to being a vegetarian or a vegan or they just do the Scott Story paleolithic flexitarian point of view – you always feel better because you're eating real food. Mm -hmm. So it's hydrating your cells, you know, it's, it's fiber, it's helping you detoxify. It's basically what we're designed to eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So EMF stressors. This is a big one for cyclists and runners because what do you see with the cyclists? They've got their little cell phone, phone in their in back, back pocket, pocket and they've got their earbuds in. 
and power meters, heart rate monitor yeah, straps, yeah, yeah. and wireless gizmos going all over the place. Sometimes we've got Leomos now, which is a, a device that has accelerometers that attach one to each foot, one to each leg, and the lower spine, and it all connects through um, Ant Plus or Bluetooth. I can't remember at the moment, although I've tested the yeah. device. But so there's, it, I mean, the whole my point is the whole sport is being infiltrated by all these technologies, and yes. everything's got to be wireless and yep. connect your phone with an app. Yep. Right. And, and so, um, my generation didn't grow up with cell phones. I mean, when the pager came out, we were so excited because somebody could like reach us. It was very important. Mm -hmm. And then they had those big phones that look as big as a football, but they were kind of rectangular. And, you know, basically we're talking brain cancer central there because it's so, so strong. So if you go on um, YouTube and you look at um, cell phones cause cancer, uh, Jeff Garcia, he was a DA. And he is giving testimony at a public gathering because they, they, they can't destroy it. It has its public record. Mm -hmm. And so he basically, he said, cell phones cause cancer. When you read the fine print, it says you should keep the phone at least an inch away from your head. Well, what I found was if you don't have EMF protection and you use muscle testing for feedback, it's 13 to 15 feet. And so you have to stand really far away from your phone and talk really loud <laughs> and turn the volume up so you can hear the person responding to you. But with the EMF protection on, even just with the wrist brace, uh, you know, you can have the phone use its speaker. But if you have the, the little one on the back of your phone, you can literally with the wrist brace, you can hold it up to your head. I don't recommend it, but it, it doesn't really stress the body out. Yeah. Or you can be like Mercola yeah. and he talks on speakerphone with his phone on a selfie stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> That'll do it. And so basically, uh, one of my patients, he was mid-30s. And uh, he keeps his cell phone on all the time so that it, he's, uh, you know, his, his people can reach him. It's mm -hmm. very important you'd be dialed in. It's your, your energetic umbilicus to the world and your friends. Mm -hmm. Well, he starts to get these swollen lymph nodes behind his clavicle where the lymph comes back into the body. He has metastatic testicular cancer. So guess which testicle developed the cancer? The one in the pocket where his phone was on all the time. Mm -hmm. So good, it has a happy ending. He loses one testicle, but he's still alive. Okay. And it's been over five years and it's, he's really healthy. He eats a good diet. But now he tells all of his friends, what I tell my patients is never leave your phone on all the time. Turn it off. One is if it's on all the time and it rings or somebody pings you or they send you a text, you're always on guard. And so... There was three groups of rats. One got to eat rat chow and they lived the happy rat life. And that was the, that's the, the gold standard. Then there's one, they put a, a plate under them and they shocked him every 10 minutes. They, they got used to the stressor. So they didn't live as long as the golden standard, but they lived pretty long. But the shock was at regular intervals. Yeah, regular yep. intervals. Yep. The one they shock erratically, yep. uh, they could never relax. And so they got cancer. They had tendinitis, you know, failure to thrive. They couldn't reproduce. Mm -hmm. And so stress, as it manifests in the body, it just showed up wherever that rat had a weak leak. So if you leave your phone on all the time and you're on call, it's the worst thing you can do for your nervous system and your endocrine system. You're going to dysregulate your hormones. Yeah. So turn it off and then check in every hour and just tell people, you know, I don't leave my phone on anymore. And so I had two young women who they do the little butt thing, you know, they keep the phone in the back pocket and they developed ovarian cysts on that side. Mm. So reproductive tissue is very sensitive to EMF stress and it's one of the sources of cancer. So you can get heart cancer, brain cancer and reproductive organs. For women, never leave the phone in your bra. It's mm. like you're just asking for breast cancer. Yeah. So Jeff Garcia, he's giving testimony. So his first cancer showed up in his hand where he held his cell phone when he would talk all the time. Mm -hmm. So they cut out the tumor. So then he develops a brain cancer. So they give him a PET scan to see if, you, if they give you a, a radioactive nucleotide with sugar and you have cancer, 
the cancer needs the sugar, which is why can cancer loves sugar. Mm -hmm. But it takes that radioactive element so that when they give you an MRI, they can tell where the cancer is. So mm -hmm. he had the brain cancer. He still had cancer in his hand. But where he kept his cell phone on in his suit coat when he was giving uh, working in the, the courtroom, he developed he had a cancer there over his heart in his pericardium. Mm -hmm. And so basically, we get back to let your technology work for you. Don't work for it. The things yeah. you own end up owning you. Yeah. 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 I think that's also, I've listened to a lot of podcasts with uh, Nick Pino, who wrote a book called The Non Tinfoil Guide to EMFs, I believe, uh, which I haven't read that book, but I've heard several of his podcasts. And so I've got a good idea what he's on about. And his bottom line for this is look, it's a function of duration and proximity. So, the, the further away you put the cell phone from you, the better off you are, and the less exposure in terms of minutes per day you have yeah. of direct contact or close contact, the worse you are. Or what? Uh, yeah, the better you are. Yeah. The better you are. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. So that's it. Just keep it further away. Put an airplane mode more often. Turn it off completely more often. When I ride, I, I never have my phone on active mode. I've, I've always got it at least in airplane mode. If I'm listening to a podcast or something, which is pretty frequent for me, you know. Mm -hmm. Got to get the editing done during the weekend. Otherwise, Jana texts me in the morning on Monday. And she's like, dude, what have you been doing? Podcast to drop. <laughs> get on it. So, <laughs> Which then creates more stress. <laughs> Just manage your workload. Yeah. 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 Very much so. So, you know, when you're scheduling your life and you're looking at your movement, again, we want to work with our endocrine system. So you ideally, you know, between seven and nine in the morning is the best time to work out just because that's when you get your peak cortisol level, but also peak testosterone. So it's like you've rested, you're ready to greet the day. That's the best time to do your movement. Um, you know, there was a cyclist that I did a salivary hormone test on and he was, uh, he liked to ride in the afternoon. And so he got, a, I call him double dipping. So he got a second spike at 2 p.m. Mm -hmm. And that spike, cortisol has a six-hour half-life. So that means if you peak at two, you're not going to get good, calm rest until at least 8 to 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. And so basically, it's really important that you try to work with your body as much as possible. I know sometimes with competitions, they're not always first thing in the morning. They can be middle of the day. You have nighttime uh, competitions because that's a bigger points. audience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, six days. And there are a lot of Criteriums around the U.S. that happen. The pro race will start at 9 or 10, 11 p.m. sometimes. Wow. It's hard to get to sleep Yeah, after that Yeah, for, for many athletes. Yeah. That's very true. And also, uh, especially with the COVID disruption and, you know, people working from home and their kids are schooling from home. Uh, we're looking at, you know, the fire and the evacuation and also retired people. It's like everybody's kind of uh, looking for their new normal. But what I noticed from the fire and the evacuation is that for myself for, and Ian and Sophia, for the first two days, there was no schedule. Mm. And it was just really stressful. And then we got back to, we have a, like a work schedule and a non-workday schedule. Yeah. So we re-enacted our non-workday schedule. And then all of a sudden, you know, my pulse rate comes down, my O2 level goes up, my body relaxes, my sleep improves. Mm. So when stressful situations come up, in the past when we've had a fire, we either stay up all night long, and we take turns. One of us is awake for an hour than the other. Because you want to see if the if you can see the the red yeah. in the cloud or the flames coming up over the hill. You know it's, it's like time to go. Time yeah. to jet. And right. so this time what we did is we one of us got up on the even hour, one got up on the odd hour, so we could sleep for two hours. And so get up, smell the air, look around. If it's fine, just go back to bed. Mm -hmm. And so in those eight hours, I had disrupted sleep, but I actually felt much better the next day. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so you just want to be creative in finding your new schedule. And it's really important that, you know, a lot of people, their whole week went by and they got nothing done because they didn't have that schedule and they were stressed out. And so it's really important that you you find a routine that works for you, mm-hmm. you know, whether you stay up later or, you know, you go to bed earlier, whatever is your normal, mm-hmm. you need to keep that that circadian rhythm going for yourself because that's just one more stressor if you disrupt it. I agree. I the word I really identify with when we, during this part of the discussion is rhythm, right? Yeah, yeah. It's about rhythm and ritual. Yeah. You get up in the morning, if you're going to have your tea, maybe you do your meditation in the morning, whatever you've got that's your normal thing that helps yep. you come back to the earth plane from yeah. wherever you went off yeah. and visited in dreamland. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully you got to detach. Yeah. If you were here the whole time stressing about work, then that's not as restful of a night of sleep. So turn off your phone, unplug, allow yeah. yourself the freedom to truly dream and travel and yeah. Have weird dreams. You should wake yeah. up and have weird dreams. That's that's your your mind telling you it took a real break from fires and COVID and elections and all the crap we're all sort of thinking about and yep. stewing about, right? Yep. During the day, you come back, you integrate into that day. You do your thing, whatever that is, a cold shower, meditation, sauna, go for a walk with your dog. It doesn't have yep. to be crazy hippie stuff like Scott and I take part in necessarily, <laughs> but yeah. rhythm and rituals part should be part of anyone's day and Instead of just spurn out of bed, hit, feet hit the floor, and you're dealing with asteroids and email bombs and crises and putting out fires metaphorically, yeah. then that gets that rhythm going all day and it becomes that chaotic energy, right? Yeah. It's not a pleasant way to live. No. It is not actually, that's more of like just surviving. That's not thriving. And so I want to thrive. I want to, I want to have my lower biological age and my chronological age. And mm-hmm. that was like when I did my first hormone test, I was 40 going on 72. And now I'm 60 going on about 40, 38. And so that's, it's a better way to be. And also that guarantee, well, as much as you can guarantee, you're going to have a better quality of life and a better, you'll be more resourced for your relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, work and personal. Yeah. Yeah. You can be a better husband, father, wife, mother, sister, brother, whatever. Yeah. Okay. We went walking, uh, Two days ago, we did, went to Wonderland Hill because it was icy and really cold. So we thought, oh, we'll just go down and be a flatlander. So we're walking there. And with the masks on, uh, we bumped into eight people. And we always say hi to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, hi, how's it going? Hi, hi, hi. Only one person said hi back. Mm-hmm. And so between the stress level and everything that's going on, people are losing their capacity to connect and communicate. And so it's very important that we keep that going you know, in our personal relationships and our professional relationships, and even with ourselves, how we talk to ourselves. I agree. It's, it's, it's essential. I agree. I've, I was thinking about this recently. I've heard a sentence from someone I was following. I don't recall who it was at the moment. And they pointed out that it really actually takes a bit of reserve and a bit of effort for us to, to say hi to the other person when we're on the trail. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you think about it from a spiritual perspective, uh, if you want to better the world, that's kind of your onus, right? Yep. Um, yep. Or Well, onus isn't the right word because onus implies it's a dark responsibility. It's your responsibility, we'll say, that you, if you want to make the world a better place, like you don't know what that person's gone through that morning. You don't know what their stresses are. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we have some idea in this age what everyone's dealing with, but you also don't know what their own personal story is. But that capacity that I think that's so important and essential for us to reach out to other humans, just let them know that we have something to smile about in our days. And that's how you spread well, goodwill through the world is to let other, just to be that reminder, that happy ding bell, not 
I'm not well, saying you don't have to strike up a conversation with every person or no. tell them your life story, but so I've made a real effort in the last few days. Every time I go running, every person I say, hi, good morning. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. And it's so interesting to watch the responses. You can really feel the energy of how the person responds back. But even if they kind of shut down and, you know, pull up their mask and won't look at you and mm -hmm. stare the other way and don't really acknowledge you, I know that I have let them know yeah. I'm in a good mood. Yep. I'm out. I'm grateful to be out running this morning mm -hmm. on the trail in the sun. We live in Boulder. It's an amazing city. We live in Colorado. It's a beautiful state. The air is clean today yeah. because it snowed. And I'm just, I'm happy. So yeah. here's my happiness. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Have a nice day. Yeah. And, and so that was the walking on the trail. So then I went to the dog park with Kahuna. Uh -huh. And she hasn't been able to play with other dogs in quite some time because we walk in the mountains. So I went to the dog park and there were two women there with these little dogs. And we struck up a conversation because, you know, dog people are more friendly. And you talk about your dogs more than you talk about, you know, whatever's happening. And so they split. And this other woman comes and she has three labs. And so Kahuna, she's part English Cream Golden Retriever and part uh, Burmese Mountain Dog. And so she... Uh, plays with her dogs and so we do two laps around the park and we're just chatting and found out that her husband was the ex uh mid crew leader up where we live and so you know it's just nice just to connect with somebody and she's lonely because he's off fighting fires in california right now oh yeah and so it's just it's just really nice to reach out and be that happy smile and put the love out there exactly because your your heart energy extends at least 25 feet from you from the heart map people they mm -hmm. figured that out and so if if i'm happy and I, my heart's extending i know that when i walk by somebody even if they're not doing well or a little bit grumpy there's, there's just a little positive heart energy there even if mm -hmm. i said nothing at all and what's the inverse of that the saying is if you're thinking bad thoughts about someone else it's basically it's basically like drinking poison yourself yep. but expecting the other person to die yep very true right? and that's bad juju Right. Yeah. I mean, there's the thing called the Hoon Accord, where if you've met somebody, if you know somebody, then there's an energetic connection. So if you think about somebody, it's like picking up the phone and I'm, I'm, I'm like, hi, Colby, how are you? Even mm -hmm. though I'm just thinking about you. So probably at 1.30 this morning, you're like, oh, my God. And, and Janet, you're just like, oh, I'm feeling the love because Kahuna woke me up to go outside. <laughs> and I was so excited about coming in and giving the le lecture today. I barely went back to sleep for maybe an hour. <laughs> and then <clears throat> Ian Sophia got up at four. And, and then we just had a wonderful morning this morning. So yeah, I was just so happy. And oh my gosh, it was wonderful. <laughs> and yeah, sharing the love. Sharing the love? Yep. I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, cross training, aerobic capacity, do multiple activities and, you know, it's kind of like even with Tai Chi and yoga, your parasympathetic activity goes up and your sympathetic nervous system drops. So you spend more time in the rest, digest, repair. Mm -hmm. And so on my HRV, when it was working, um, I could actually shift my uh, nervous system to zones uh, to the positive and decrease my stress to zones by doing Tai Chi. That's 10 minutes worth. Yoga, it takes me 45 minutes to get one shift, one shift. Interesting. Yeah, because Tai Chi is, it's really intense movement, but it's not cardiac. And so you're literally swimming through water and swimming through air. And how many years have you been practicing Tai Chi? Uh, I learned really bad Tai Chi from Kung Fu back since 1991. But then when I gave up Kung Fu to study Tai Chi because of all my fractures and injuries, I actually learned really good Tai Chi. And that's probably maybe 22, 23 years ago. Okay. Yeah. 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 I love Tai Chi. I think it's a powerful... I, I kind of consider it a gateway drug a little bit for endurance athletes because a lot of endurance athletes, I speak to them about meditation and they really have a hard time with jumping into that world. Yeah, yeah. They, they, 
maybe in some cases express concern about being, you know, kind of sitting in one chair or doing nothing for a long period of time. That kind of scares them, which I understand. So, you know, as an endurance athlete, we're conditioned to move all the time, move, 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 especially cycling. It's just so repetitive. Yeah. Well, Tai Chi, you can, you can learn Tai Chi and it's a powerful way to do that, but to really be able to, it's so technical when you learn an actual yeah. Yeah. series of proper Tai Chi movements, yeah. right? There's a lot that goes into it. It's position of the hands, the position of the torso, the weighting of the feet, all those yeah, things. Yeah. So Sinking that can take a long time. Shoulders yeah. back and down. Yep. Yeah. 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 Relaxed hands. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So Paul sort of bridged the gap with this powerful technique. He calls it the Tai Chi ruler. And it's a very simple method, sort of an intro into Tai Chi. And it's a very cyclic nature. All you're doing is you're, you're using a, it can be a stick that's about 12 inches wide. You put it in between your palms and you're circulating the microcosmic orbit, which means you're breathing down while the hands go down. You're making a big circle in front of your body and then the hands go up and you're inhaling and exhaling as the hands go down. You're just making a big circle that's maybe two, three feet in diameter. And I'll put a link to this Tai Chi poster in the show notes for people who want to jump in and explore this world. This is the perfect way to introduce yourself to Tai Chi and you'll stand with a split stance. So one leg in front of the other. And that's basically it. There's some other details in the poster, but you can do this for 10 minutes a day, set a timer, just zone out and just do the motion. All you're thinking about is the arms, the gentle motion and the breath. Yep. And it gets really boring. And that's the point. If you commit to a 100 day gong, you get to about day 90. And usually for most people, things tend to change and shift. And you go, oh, yeah. I had some insight. I feel you start to really feel the energy yep. of the Tai Chi. And that's your, your gateway. And then if you make it through that, there's a good chance you're going to want to study it more in depth. And then you can go forth and make the searchings. So Chen Men Ching, he was the one who originated our um, Tai Chi short form. It's a Yang short form, but he eliminated a lot of the duplicate uh, form, you know, postures. Mm. And so he wrote a book called Master of the Five Excellences. And his theory was you should be great at five things. So when we were in Taipei, Taiwan, studying Oriental medicine back in 94, we went to the National Palace Museum. In the National Palace Museum, is it's four stories. It's very large. And if you went back every three months, because they rotate their uh, what they're demonstrating for the public, their artifacts, uh, you'd have to go back for 12 years to see everything that uh, China sent to Taiwan during World War II. And then they wanted it back. And Chen, or, uh, Chiang Kai-shek said, ha, 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 we're keeping it. <laughs> so that's how they got it all. So we're there. And uh, Chen Menqing had done a scroll. And he did all of the artwork on the scroll. Mm. And then also he did calligraphy. And then he was a Chinese herbalist. He was an acupuncturist. And he also did Tai Chi. And he said that Tai Chi was actually more potent than his acupuncture and herbs because it has to do with your energy moving through your body. So you open up all your 12 meridians. And what was interesting is that he would have people, if you were sick uh, and you couldn't do Tai Chi, you'd just come sit in the class and feel the Chi move in the room. Mm -hmm. And that would help your body to benefit to and heal. Yeah, yeah, heal. Yeah. Right. That's cool. Yeah, really cool. Um, so yeah, and what I want is I want strength, I want flexibility, balance, and a great posture. And so it's important. Every activity has its good posture. So we talked about the center of gravity and how it exists in the Dantian, two inches below your belly button, two inches in. And how when you walk with sticks, it moves up to right between your nipples. And mm -hmm. so basically you're more unstable. You're more likely to injure yourself even though you're you have uh, two things on the ground at the same time. So one foot, one pole. 
Well, cyclists, because you're pivoting between your hands and your pelvis, your center of gravity usually comes up to about the xiphoid process, maybe a little bit higher, but it's all the way anterior. It's not in the body. It's actually like right here, surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And depending on what you're doing, uh, it could actually probably be a little bit in front of you. Yeah. So that was an interesting insight. And then really it's the rest, digest, repair, and recovery. That's the most important part of any kind of movement that we need downtime. We need time to heal and replenish ourselves. Mm. And if you're a competitive athlete, like you've been in the past, you're, you need the support of your community and your family. And so I would like to say thank you, Ian Sophia, for being my support system for all my college and all my seminars and holding the fort down and taking care of the family, the dogs and all that. Because without you, babe, this would not be happening. Nice. I would not be who I am today. And mm. so everybody has an unsung hero. There's a support person somewhere that's helping you do what you're doing. Mm. And so it's nice to give that person the love and just say thank you very much. Is that the same thing as behind every successful man is a woman rolling her eyes? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that would be it. Yes. Well, thank you, Marisol, for holding down my fort while yep. I was off traipsing around the world. Yes. Racing bike races. And yeah. Breaking collarbones and yeah. winning races occasionally and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Now during my study adventures. Yes. Yeah. So new habits, lifestyle, 30 days is a minimum, you know, but a couple, three months is good. So you have to take a look at your life, how it's changed since COVID. Mm. So it's been, we're in uh, the eighth month now and they're saying, oh, the COVID spiking. Well, you know, being in healthcare for 30 years, every fall when kids go back to school, they start getting viruses, they get mm. stomach viruses, they get common cold, they get mm. the flu. So COVID is no different except for the fact that they've been trying to control the spread of it. And not one word, this really irks me, mm. is that they're not talking about health. They're just talking about stopping the spread of the disease. They're not saying how you can have a better immune system and not get sick, or if you get sick, it's a mild case. So if you look at the five yeah. risk factors, we're talking about diabetes, high blood sugar, obesity and overweight, which then leads to heart problems and lung problems, and then you can have autoimmune. Mm -hmm. And so these five things are all the, one of the reasons why America has so many deaths from COVID, but even the CDC came out and they said 96% of the deaths are not from COVID. They're COVID plus underlying condition, one of the five right. factors we talked about. Right. Only 6% of the people are actually dying from it. So we're not getting the correct information, mm. you know, and as it relates to like your vitamin D level, if your vitamin D level is above 70, your risk of chronic or serious illness and death is 7.2%. If it's below 40, it's 72.8%. So there's a 90% reduction just by having vitamin D. So how come uh, the Center for Disease Control and the Surgeon General aren't telling you, you know, check your vitamin D level, make sure you get adequate vitamin C. Uh, mm -hmm. None of my patients have got COVID and none of their family members have got COVID. Mm -hmm. And so really very few of my patients ever get the flu or the common cold. And if they do, they're schooled in what to keep in their pharmacy. So like the Noquent Subtilis or the Noquent Mycobactin that we take mm -hmm. at the first symptom of a cold, or I take it every day before I go to work so that in case somebody's sick, even though I check their temperature and their pulse ox and I make yeah. sure that they're, they're not COVID related, they could be brewing, you know, some kind of right. flu or cold or something. So yeah, right, right, right. that's how I avoid my illness. So I really emphasize wellness and a healthy immune system. So mm. I'll get off my soapbox and we'll continue on with the <laughs> talk here. Uh, focus is really to attain health and well-being and optimize your immune function. So we're solution oriented. I said to Ian Sophia when on the fire started, I'm like, I got a problem. She goes, I don't want a problem. There's an issue and I want a solution. So let's identify the issue and plan a solution and go on about it. So mm -hmm. that whole paradigm shift 
helps your immune system. It helps your endocrine system balance. Mm -hmm. And also it makes you a more fun person to be around and not so grumpy. You smile more. I like to use the word challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I have this challenge. Yep. Here's my solution. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's so Different important. Way to think about it. Yeah. yeah. So a person came in yesterday, she's gained 20 pounds and she's hypertensive now. Mm -hmm. And so in talking to her, she used to go to the gym with her husband and they would treadmill and they would use the elliptical and they would bicycle. And so I said, so what are you doing for movement now? She goes, I've lost my motivation and I'm not exercising at all. I'm like, have you ordered a treadmill or a bike for your house? She goes, well, I have, but just like the bicycles, like Trek and all that, you can't get one for like four to six months because right. everybody wants to exercise now. Right. All right. So basically I said, so she has about six acres. I said, so how long does it take you to walk around your property? She said, 10 minutes. I said, I want you to walk clockwise, counterclockwise and do it twice a day. Mm -hmm. And your blood pressure should come back down. Mm -hmm. Because she said that her MD told her to stop using salt. Well, I'm like, well, you know, salt only causes at most a three millimeter rise in your blood pressure. I said, that's nothing. Because mm -hmm. she went from 110 to 130, which is where they start thinking about giving you some medication. So her doctor's really trying to work with her. So I give her some other options. And as soon as she gets her treadmill or her bike, she's going to do her pulse interval training. One fast, two slow, one mm -hmm. fast, two slow. Mm -hmm. Um the fire, the evacuation, the smoke and the poisons. Oh, that's one of the reasons people are retaining so much fluid is the smoke basically 400 houses burned up in the Cameron fire. I don't know how many in the Grand Lake troublesome fire. And mm -hmm. I know that several structures burned both in the Cowwood and the left-hand canyon. So we're breathing, we're breathing burning couch. We're breathing, yeah. you know, burning car. We're breathing paint, uh, burning insulation, refrigerator. burning refrigerator, all that. Oh. And so basically it bioaccumulates in the body. So that's just one more poison that we have to get rid of. That's a lot. Burn a yeah. house down. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot yeah. of toxic stuff in the air. Yeah. yeah. And so when the smoke was really bad, uh, even though I stay hydrated and ate all my vegetables, my kidneys started burning. Mm. And then my low back went into spasm and it went out. So I asked myself that all important question. What would Dr. Story do? Mm -hmm. Well, he'd rock blade himself. So I rock bladed myself. I'd release my kidneys. I'd hydrate myself more, get a little more electrolytes. And then I had Ian Sophia rock tape me. So I bent my body in this position and she put the tape on and then instantly my pain was like 50% better. And then over five days, it went away. Nice. Yeah. So take Dr. Story's advice. And are you guys using your farm for red sauna as well? Uh, we're just getting ready to fire it up. Yeah. 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 So now that it's getting cool, yeah. we're going to actually fire it up. So when you use the sauna, when I did my original detox experience, uh, experiment and I taught a seminar on detoxification, we looked at the pH of the sweat. And so I had six people and we changed their diet. We put them on supplements. We did this certain laser treatment and they got a sauna once a week for six or eight weeks. At the end of that, uh, every person, they were remembering phone numbers that they had forgotten. They were thinking about people that they were, hadn't thought mm -hmm. about in a while. So their brain started to turn on. But the sweat from the sauna was so acidic that it was more acidic than the pH paper. So the pH paper just got wet, yeah. but it didn't change. But by the third sauna, it was actually the same pH as the saliva. Came back into range. Yeah, so it yeah. became more alkaline. Right. So it's a great way to detoxify your body. And, mm. and your skin is your third kidney. So just like mm. when you use cosmetics, if you won't eat it, don't wear it. Right. Same thing goes if you want to detoxify better. So, yeah, we do an hour-long uh, session on the, the uh, Farm for Red sauna, and it's only 25 bucks. So I just really encourage it. I want people to use it. It mm -hmm. makes it very affordable. Yeah. Yeah. And so some people do a sauna before their treatment and some people do the sauna afterwards. So mm -hmm. you get treated and all these things are in motion and then it's a great way just to get the poisons out. Flush everything out. Yeah, yeah. flush everything out. So again, you want that new schedule, maintaining your wellness habits. One of my patients, she still comes in and gets treated, but she was so stressed out she quit taking her supplements and she's having a hard time getting back into that routine. So we talked about maybe just the morning with food. 
and then the morning, no food, and then just slowly bringing them back in so it doesn't create more stress because it's counterproductive. I mean, if every time you look at your supplements, it stresses you out that you're not going to get the benefit of them. Right. I tell people, put your hands over your food, put your hands over your supplements, and just bless them to the nourishment of your body, mind, spirit, and they will work much better because the chi coming out of your hands can actually harmonize the, the food and the, the nutrients. But also, if you're eating out at a restaurant, you put your hands over the food, just bless it, and it'll help transmutate the energy that goes back to how it was grown, how it was harvested, how it was cooked, et cetera. So you want to get rid of that bad chi and put only good chi in there. It's about doing things with intent, really. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Mindful living. Yeah. 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 So uh, what we have is an innovative approach to the job and the study and the tasks. So if we look at it as an opportunity to create a new routine, mm -hmm. uh, we can maximize the benefit we get from it. And also we'll look forward to it because it's going to be funner mm -hmm. and we're going to enjoy it. Yeah. 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 So that's really important. Um, limit your information time and take a break. I mean, even during the fire, we would only check the computer every couple of hours to see if there was a new update, but we didn't live stream. So one of my patients, she lived in Grand County and so she was listening to the firefighters. And so Ian called her on the phone. She was talking to her, you know, make sure that she was okay and her family was okay because some of them live up there. Mm. And uh, she she was so stressed out because she heard about the elderly couple that went to the basement, the bunker, and then mm. they died. Mm. And so she was really upset about it. So she was, she's obsessing. She's ruminating. She's living the fire as the firefighters are. Yeah. So we're like, hang up, walk away, go outside, go for a walk, mm -hmm. drink some water, have a meal because she's diabetic. And what does stress do? It increases your cortisol, which is going to make your glucose go up. So she's going to get an artificial elevation of her blood sugar and, and worst case, diabetes Yeah, just from the stress. So yeah. limit it. Don't watch TV. I call it infotainment. Don't watch the news. If you want to look something up, go on the internet, check the weather. Don't wait for the 10 p.m. news. <laughs> you know, it's just, just simplify your life because then there's more time for the things that you love and enjoy. Mm -hmm. Sleep. Just like Jan said, you want to get that eight to nine and a half hours. In fact, after a few nights of not getting much sleep, we needed 10 hours to refuel. So we had developed a sleep deficit yeah, and it's cumulative. And so it took several days to ruminate or to actually to heal that deficit. Mm -hmm. And so now eight hours feels good. Yeah. 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 I spring into bed, do a Mary Lou Retton, even though it's dark <laughs> when I go to bed and dark when I wake up, I'm like, yes, <laughs> I can enjoy my day. So- Movement, it's essential. You know, nomadic people, what do they do? They move. You got to get some firewood. You got to get some water. Got to harvest some vegetables. If you're mm -hmm. lucky, you'll be able to kill something. And yep. I did the seminar on the microbiome, and there's a tribe of nomadic people in Africa. And when they kill something, the first thing they do is they open up the abdominal cavity and they cut off from the stomach to the large intestine and they <laughs> suck all that pre-digested vegetable microbiome nourishing. Mm -hmm. They have the healthiest intestine of anyone in the world. In fact, I've heard of fecal control therapy where you yeah. eat somebody else's poop in a capsule. I think they should go to Africa and harvest this healthy poop <laughs> and then they should cultivate it and then we should all be able to take little acidophilus capsules that have been cultivated from the healthiest microbiome in the world. Sounds a little more appetizing than yeah, you know, it does. Yeah. fecal yeah. transplant or consuming yeah. other people's. Yes, yes indeed. Yuck. So diet and meals, you know, Wake up, have that snack that I, I try to get people to eat to break the fast. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, three meals a day or just graze, you know, because this whole thing with intermittent fasting, it 
limits the calories, but I can limit my calories, but not stress my system out. Because one person said, well, what about my digestive tract? You know, I'm giving myself a digestive load. And I said, but you're giving yourself a Mount Everest load twice a day within eight hours. I said, I give myself a little, you know, digest, assimilate, digest, assimilate. I said, so my blood sugar is stable all day long. Mm -hmm. So my hemoglobin A1C, last time I checked it was Mm 4.3. I've only seen one person at 4.7, that's Ian Sophia and one other person below five. Everybody else, it's your your tendency towards long-term glucose Mm -hmm. uh, uh, excess and your risk of diabetes goes up. So as your hemoglobin A1C increases, your risk of diabetes goes up, even if your glucose is normal. What about the discussion about cell, about promoting cell autophagy through water fasting for 18 hours or more. I think that, well, the thing with water fasting is basically when you become deficient in one nutrient, you stop the detox process for your liver. So the, the joke we used to have is that when you go juice fasting, uh, the poisons just change location in your body. They don't leave your body. Right. Yeah. So that's why we do metabolic washout programs with like ultra clear or something along those lines. So I feel that if you have a positive attitude and you eat conscientiously and mindfully and you make good food choices, you should be able to encourage uh, cells to live their normal lifespan and then die. It's when you start to stress your body out. And so that's where all these exotic diets come in. Mm -hmm. Basically, you just try to slap your metabolism upside the head and wake your body up for making a lifetime of bad choices. Right. So you're going to get some positive benefit, but it's going to cost you somewhere down the line. So I like the long-term view and the supporting of the body during the whole process. Less extreme, you're saying? Yeah, less extreme. Because extreme means stress. Stress Mm -hmm. means hormone dysregulation, hypercoagulation, suppressing of your immune system. There's, Mm -hmm. There's several patients who, when you come in, and I look at your blood work, I look at the white blood cell count. Some people have chronically low, and that's a chronic stress response because it's suppressing the bone marrow. Mm. So if I get them to start to balance out their stress level, all of a sudden these people that have had 20, 30, 40, 50 years of low white blood cell count, it's up to normal. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other people who, you know, it's chronically high because they have infection and inflammation. So we have to figure out where the inflammation is coming up, where the infection is, what's causing the leaky gut and all that, and address that, and then those numbers come down. Right. So it's kind of like a, I tell people it's like a bad hair day. So you do a hormone test, you do a blood test, you do a urine test, and certain things are going to come back good. Certain things are going to tell us where we need to refocus, right. how we need to modify your treatment plan. Right. And so I tell people, it's just, uh, just think of it as a bad hair day. You know, we all have them every once in a while. Meditation is important every day. Okay. And however the meditation works for you, some people like to just breathe and relax. Some people like to visualize. So whatever just feels natural and good. You know, do it every day. Mm-hmm. And so I meditate after lunch just to cleanse my brain and so I can reprogram myself so my afternoon I feel much better. And you were telling me about your technique with the compression hose and the legs up against the wall. And I thought that mm-hmm. was really great. I don't have compression hose, but I'm mm-hmm. thinking about giving it a try. Okay. Uh, deep nasal breathing all day long. Filter mm-hmm. the air, moisten the air, take some of the particulate out. Smile from your heart. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is um, positivity and reading. So you know, feed your soul, feed yourself something that's inspirational. And also uh, your conversation. When you dialogue with people and you have a challenge that comes up or there's an issue that needs to be addressed, do it and then have some resolution with your solution and just feel how good it feels in your body to have that completion. Mm. And then your self-talk. I mean, really monitor your self-talk during the day Mm. so that you can see where your head is at. So when you wake up, what's the first thing you think of? I'm like, I get to talk with Colby and Janet. Yay. I'm so excited. Yeah. (laughs) Which made it impossible to go back to sleep. (laughs) Even though I was meditating, I was in my quiet place and I was all relaxed and everything. Yeah. 
good problems yeah. to have. Yeah, yeah. I think self-talk is obviously a big one for athletes. It's, yeah. I have a lot of riders who have had insight into their self-talk and I get you, you learn to sort of understand what goes on in an athlete's brain. It's, it's really easy to kind of be in that comparative mindset all the time or get up and kind of instantly be fixated on your task for the day, your workout, your yeah. long ride, your intervals, where you got to yeah. do. And it's, it's a mission to get that done. And yeah. And on the one hand, I mean, there's blessing and challenge in, in all aspects of that. You signed up to be an athlete. You want to go challenge yourself with a hard workout. That's part of the beauty of your day. Yeah. The fact that you can, you've chosen to adopt this lifestyle and you have the luxury to do so. I mean, let's be real. Like choosing to live your life as an elite athlete or even just a focused athlete, yeah. it's a luxury that some people don't have in their lives. Yeah. They don't have yeah. the money. They don't have the time. They don't have the resources, whatever. They don't have the health. Yeah. So... Um, I think it's a, to wake up and be grateful for that opportunity. Right. Yeah. Now I see that, like I, I was more fixated and focused when I was younger in my career. Now I'm, every time I get a chance to go exercise, I'm like, all right, yeah, I have a chance to go for a run today. This is awesome. Look yeah. how beautiful it is. And then when I run past all the people, it's a natural extension mm -hmm. of that joy yeah. to just say, Hey, good morning. Yeah. Right. It's, it's basically mindful conscious living everything you eat everything mm. you breathe everything you do either adds or subtracts so i tell people mm. add as much positivity into your life and minimize the challenges that you have mm. you know because life on the planet you know we all have to work you know we all have to take care of our body we have to eat we have to eliminate and so mm. just make everything work the best that it can and realize that you know sometimes some days are great some days there's a fire i still have a house and an office and so uh, people come in they're like so how you doing dr story i said I am fantastic. I said, I'm wonderful. I said, I got a house. I got a, an office to work out of. I, I got the love of my life to live with. I have two great dogs. I have great patients that come in to get treated. And, you know, it's for some people, I'm the best thing they do for themselves. And other people take it and they want to run with it. They want to do everything possibly. They want to, mm -hmm. you know, change the diet, work with the sleep pattern, you know, take their supplements and, and just really work the program. Mm. Um, one last thought on that. I think I feel like some people who listen to this type of podcast or discussion might walk away feeling like we've given them a long list of to do's, mm -hmm. right? Like it's a lot on the plate. It's a yeah. lot of change. Yeah. And it's also a lot of things that they have to add onto their existing paradigm. And what I'd like to point out is that I don't really think that's an accurate way to think about it. It's easy to sort of listen to this and say, okay, well, I'm doing this and I have to do that. And to get from this to that is to add more onto the things I must do. But two points. One is that when you start to do these things and you feel healthier, everything becomes easier. Yes. It's an There's an additive effect, yeah. right? Because you walk through the world with a little more joy, a little more happiness, a little more consciousness then it accumulates, it's like a snowball that gets bigger as it goes down the hill. You accumulate more momentum and yeah. all those things become easier, not harder. Yeah. Yeah. And for, but when you're sort of, if you're in a position where you're initially thinking about all the things we're talking about, maybe you had considered some of these points, it's easy to look at them as, as more load on top of an already overloaded schedule. It's actually the opposite. Things tend to shift and it becomes easier. And the more, the, the more you meditate, the more effective your work can become because your mind yep. is clear yep. and you can make better decisions. You can, select very better vocabulary when you're trying to write that paper or yeah. send that email and things become more effective. Your time usage becomes more efficient and effective, yeah. right? You become, uh, you're more in your flow. Yeah. So you know, your motto is ride and flow, mm -hmm. ride and flow. Mm -hmm. And so you're finding the flow. I tell people, change the rate that feels good for you and doesn't stress you out. Mm -hmm. So for some people, they can work with the diet a little bit. 
but changing their sleep pattern is a little more stressful because maybe their partner has a different sleep pattern that they need. And so basically work with what you have, start where it's easy and you can gain more momentum. So mm. if you can just work out a little bit differently and you smile and you're enjoying yourself and you say hi to everybody when you go past them somewhere, mm -hmm. then just that'll be your start. Yeah. And you know, like with the sleep, the sleep is really an easy thing to do. But sometimes you have to train yourself how to relax. And so you actually sent me, um, there's a meditation you can do before you go to sleep to help your body just kind of like conk out yes. and go unconscious. So maybe you can put that in the notes too. Sure. So people can actually learn how to relax. And so that's one of the things I do. I do like a little body scan mm -hmm. and I breathe into my body and notice there's no tension anywhere. And then I can actually, if I prepare myself by relaxing mm -hmm. and never do anything stressful before you go to sleep, don't watch the news, don't watch NC, whatever it is, you know, those psycho <laughs> crime shows and all that. Because you're going to get that cortisol spike for six hours. You're not going to sleep well. Right. Game of Thrones. Yep, indeed. Yeah. Only in the morning before you exercise because <laughs> that way you burn off the cortisol and uh, you're in your happy place. There you go. Cool. All right, Colby. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so grateful you took time again to come and yeah. meet with us and share your wisdom. Attention, Space Monkeys, public service announcement. Really, technically, it's a disclaimer. You already know this, but I'm going to remind you that I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a doctor. So... Don't take anything on this podcast to constitute lawyerly or doctorly advice. I don't play either of those characters on the internet. Also, we talk about lots of things, and that means we have opinions. My guests' opinions are not necessarily reflective of the opinions of anyone who is employed by or works at Fast Talk Labs. That includes Chris Case, Trevor Connor, or Jana Martin. Also, if you want to reach out, and talk to me about things. Feedback on the podcast, good, bad, or otherwise, you may do so at the following email address, info at cyclinginalignment.com. That's all spelled just like it sounds, which again is self-evident. Gratitude.